Good morning. Uh, this morning's text is from Mark 10, uh, 17 through 31, in the New Living Translation. As Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him, knelt down, and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder, you must not commit adultery, you must not steal, you must not testify falsely, you must not cheat anyone, honor your mother and father. Teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. There is still one thing you haven't done, he told him. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this the man's face fell, and he went away sad, for he had many possessions. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? This amazed them, but Jesus said again, Dear children, it is very hard to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were astounded. Then who in the world can be saved, they asked. Jesus looked at them intently and said, Humanly speaking, it is impossible, but not with God. Everything is possible with God. Then Peter began to speak up. We've given up everything to follow you, he said. Yes, Jesus replied, and I assure you that everyone who has given up house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or property for my sake and for the good news will receive now in return a hundred times as many houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and property, along with persecution. And in the world to come, that person will have eternal life. But many who are the greatest now will be least important then. And those who seem least important now will be the greatest then. We've been in a series called Journey Towards Hope. So far we've looked at Jesus' temptation in the desert to see the distractions that draw us away from God and keep us from hope. And we looked at Jesus' time of prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane as a way to prepare us for the trials and hardships in life. We could see the difference between Jesus' time of prayer and what he was about to face versus what the disciples were doing. The disciples just lulling themselves into sleep, lulling themselves into complacency, and then when the hardships came across, they were not prepared at all. And then last week, we looked at the woman who worshipped Jesus. She did all that she could in anointing him with her perfume. We looked at acts of worship as a way to find our hope. And now we're back in the Gospel of Mark, this time in chapter 10, to discover that our journey towards hope is also found in our obedience and in our complete submission to the Lord. Now we're introduced to our young man, and he's running up to the Lord, running up. He's excited. He's heard about this teacher. He's heard about 
this rabbi, this distinguished rabbi. And he comes up and he kneels down before him. He recognized him as respectable. He recognized that this was someone that could give him the answers he was looking for. And so he runs up and he kneels down. And he addresses Jesus as good teacher. Now the Jews knew that only God was good. So to call Jesus good meant that he was recognizing Jesus as God. Worthy of worship, worthy to be followed, and worthy to be obeyed. And so Jesus responds to him with, why do you call me good? Only God is truly good. Basically, he's saying, young man, do you realize what you are saying? Do you believe what you are saying? Because if you believed me to be good, if you believed me to be God, worthy of honor, you wouldn't even have to ask the question you're about to ask. And so what does the young man ask? What must I do to inherit internal, eternal life? What must I do to inherit eternal life? He believed, like many people then and today, that heaven is something that you work for. It's something that you work towards, something that you earn on good behavior and good deeds, Almost as if God has a little checklist. Oh, she did this one, he did this one, he did... Oh, there's a bad one, but let's see, that'll cancel out with these three good ones. And then suddenly you get this golden ticket that gets you into heaven. And that, we know that's not how it works. And so Jesus doesn't answer his question right away. But what he does is he begins by reminding the young man about the commandments. You must not murder... You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone. Honor your father and mother. To which the young man says, I've obeyed all of these since I was young. So by the world's standards, he's a good moral man. You ask someone on the street if they're going to heaven, and they say yes, then you say, okay, why? Why are you going to heaven? I'm a good person. I'm a good person. And you say, well, what makes you a good person? Well, I've never killed anyone. I've never stolen anything. I've never cheated on my spouse. I've never cheated anyone out of anything. Same responses as our young man. And then it says, Jesus felt genuine love for him. Compassion. We have a Lord that is so full of compassion He sees this young man, he says, oh, you're so close, and yet you're so far. There's still one thing you haven't done, he told him. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. You know, Jesus brought up the last six commandments to commend the young man for his actions. Yes, those are good and necessary to lead a good moral life. But now he brings the man's attention to the first two commandments. See, God must be first in our lives. God must be allowed to be God in our lives. We can't allow anything to stand in the place of God. And for this young man, his wealth had become his God. It had become his idol. 
And at this the man's face fell, and he went away, sad, for he had many possessions. I was trying to think of a way to illustrate the way the, word, the wording here is in Greek. Just the, the deep sorrow and shock that this young man felt. Imagine you've been to the doctor, and he gives you a list of things you need to do. Your cholesterol's high, you're overweight, high blood pressure. You've got to change all these things. So you spend a whole year working on all of these things. And you're excited to get to the doctor because, oh, I think I did it. I think I did it. I've lost weight. And you go to the doctor, and the doctor says, well, very good. You've lost weight. Your blood pressure's back to normal. Your cholesterol's at normal levels. But you have cancer. Shock, sorrow, you would leave the doctor's office the same way this young man just left Jesus. Wait, what happened? What happened? I thought I had it all right. I thought I had it all together. Where where did this come from? What Jesus did in this situation with this young man, the attitude of his heart was revealed. He wanted eternal life on his terms. He wanted to follow God on his terms, and he wanted to be obedient on his terms. He wasn't ready to release his idols. He wasn't ready to release his wealth, because that's where he had placed his confidence, and that's where he had placed his hope. Now Jesus shifts his attention to the disciples. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And this amazed them. But Jesus said again, Dear children, it is very hard to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were astounded. Then who in the world can be saved, they asked. Now, can you just imagine how confused the disciples are at this point? Here was this young man who, in their eyes, was a perfect disciple candidate, okay? He was young, so he had energy. He was rich, so he could support the ministry. He was influential, so he could keep them safe and uh, about the powers that were trying to put them aside. And he was sincere. He came and he knelt at Jesus. Jesus, what are you thinking? This man is perfect for our team. And Jesus points out to them, this is a matter of the heart. This is not a matter of skill set. This is not a matter of talent. Man can do all kinds of things on his own. But without God intervening, if God's not in it, it's meaningless. And it's doomed to fail. Jesus recognizes the good things that the young man does, but he points out that he was forgetting the most important thing, the two most important things. Putting God first and center of everything. And then the disciples were even more confused because in Jewish history, wealth was a sign of God's favor. Listen to these verses where Satan's talking about Job. You have always put a wall of protection around him and his home and his property. You have made him prosper in everything he does. Look how rich he is. And then the psalmist says this, How joyful are those who fear the Lord, all who follow his ways. You will enjoy the fruit of your labor. How joyful and prosperous you will be. 
And again in Isaiah, tell the godly that all will be well for them. They will enjoy the rich reward they have earned. So wealth was a sign of God's favor. So why isn't this young man getting into heaven? We thought this was about good stuff. So what if if the rich man can't even get into heaven? Even today, money is seen as this universal passport. If you have money, you can have whatever you want. And so the disciples' reaction makes sense. They're amazed. They're astounded. Well, if even the wealthy can't get to heaven, then what hope do we have? And so Jesus looks at them and says, humanly speaking, it's impossible. But with God, everything. With humans, it is impossible. But with God, everything is possible. Because what the young man was seeing as a deficiency, what the disciples were seeing as inability, maybe even futility, Jesus saw as the potential for God to work. We don't accomplish anything for God. It is God who accomplishes through us. We got to remember, we do nothing without him intervening through us. Salvation isn't something we can accomplish. If we're left to our own, we'll never make it into the kingdom of God. We'll never inherit eternal life. Do you know, inherit. If you're in someone's will and you inherit something, did you do anything to get it? No, it's a gift. It's a gift. You simply have to accept it. Eternal life. We inherit it because Jesus has done. It's nothing we do. He's already done it. Salvation is and always will be divine accomplishment through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then so Peter gets excited. He speaks up. He says, we've given up everything to follow you, he said. Basically, he's saying, do our sacrifices and our obedience count for anything? To which Jesus replies, yes. And I assure you that everyone who has given up house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or property for my sake and for the good news will receive now in return a hundred times as many houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and property, along with persecution. And in the world to come, that person will have eternal life. The call of Christ in our lives has to take priority over all things. And yes, in our obedience, the blessings come, but don't miss that last item in the list of the blessings. Persecutions along with persecution. We do a disservice sometimes when we talk about our faith and, oh, Jesus is this. He's all these good things. And we give this message of, well, you come to faith, you come into Christianity, your life's got to be great. It's got to be good. That's not what the word says. Our Christian faith is not an insurance policy against hardship and adversity. If we want to partake in the blessings of Christ, we also have to partake in the suffering of Christ. The message that Jesus is giving here is not just about wealth. 
If this was just a condemnation about rich people, then Jesus would never have commended the woman we talked about last week who used oil that was worth a year's wages. Or we wouldn't have heard about the rich man Joseph of Arimathea, whose grave Jesus was buried in. This is not about wealth. This is about anything that gets in the way of our total commitment to the obedience of the call of Christ. And church, remember, Jesus will never ask you to do what he hasn't already done himself. He was far richer than any of us could ever imagine. He lived for eternity in the glory, in the wealth, the love, and the fellowship of the Father. And yet he gave that up to come to us. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says, You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty he could make you rich. Jesus is the ultimate rich young ruler. And the question that was posed to this man and posed to every one of us, Jesus says, I gave away a big all for you. Can you give away just a little all for me? See, the call to obedience and discipleship is really a call to radical trust and commitment to Jesus. It's a call to put away anything that is a hindrance to our relationship with him. It may be things. It may be people. But each of us has an area that we're holding back from God. The young man left full of sorrow because he left without hope. Because when it came to releasing his idol and replacing with the source of hope, he just couldn't do it. He was obedient to all the commandments except the two that mattered most. I am the Lord your God. Do not worship other gods. And do not create for yourself idols. The two that required him to do something, the two that actually required a sacrifice, that required obedience. You see, the other commandments were easy because they were about not doing. They had nothing to do with sacrifice. But these two did. And so Jesus reveals the heart of this man. His possessions and his wealth were his God. Money was to him what the Father was to Jesus, the center of his life. And for this young man to have to give his money and his possessions away, in his eyes, he was losing himself, which is exactly what we need to do to get to Jesus. Jesus was asking this young man, he says, I want you to imagine Life without money. All you have is me. Am I enough? And Jesus offers us himself in the same way. Am I enough, he says. If you lose your health, if you lose your family, if you lose your home, if you lose your child or your spouse or your job, Jesus is saying, am I enough? Am I enough for you? We have to believe that the person who has Jesus plus nothing actually has everything. The world tells us no. God's kingdom says yes. 
Martin Luther, who's the father of the Protestant Reformation, he was quoted as saying this, I have held many things in my hands, and I have lost them all. But whatever I placed in God's hands, I still possess. Like the rich young man, we can hold on to what we have, or we can go all in, turning it all over to Jesus. When we let go of our riches, when we let go of our pride and our grudges and whatever else is holding us back, when we just let it go and we put it in his hands and when we devote our lives wholly to him, then we will know blessings beyond measure. We will know what it is to have life and we'll know what it is to have hope. Jesus bids us cast aside our idols He says, come and follow me. How do you respond? When he says, am I enough? Is he enough? If you have nothing else, is he enough? One of the blessings about mission trips and going to a a third world country is that you get to see a glimpse of of a people that understand that Jesus is enough. When you're sitting in a worship service with people who, who walked five miles to get to church, and they don't even have shoes on their feet, and they're wearing the same clothes that they've worn for three weeks because that's all they have. You understand what it looks like to worship and have hope when Jesus is enough. That's what we all need to strive for. In our journey towards hope, we, we need to fight past our distractions. That's where we find our hope. We'll find our hope in our times of prayer. We'll find hope in our acts of worship. And we'll find hope in our obedience to the call of Jesus when he says, come and follow me. Holy, holy Father, holy Lord, we praise you. We come before you this morning with with humble hearts. We want Jesus to be enough. Help us to understand that Jesus is enough. And with Jesus, we have all we need. Help us to surrender those areas, Lord, that we're trying to hold on tightly to. Help us recognize that we are holding back. Give us glimpses, Lord. the freedom when we let go. As we leave this place, Lord, may we be encouraged. May we shine our light brightly for the world out there. May we travel safely to our destinations. May we know that you walk with us 
through the challenges and the hardships ahead. And we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for grace and mercy and love. In Jesus' holy and precious name.